Hello and welcome back to Franklin Covey's weekly podcast, C-Suite Conversation with Scott Miller, where each week I am privileged to have really intimate conversations with people from all walks of life. What they have in common is that they've earned their way into the C-suite inside of their organization. Some weeks it's the CIO or CTO or CFO, CEO, and oftentimes it's people that have a fondness for my own career track. I was for many years the chief marketing officer here at the Franklin Covey. So whenever I get my hands on a world-renowned chief marketing officer to learn from, I do just that. And today our guest is Todd Kaplan. He serves as the chief marketing officer for Pepsi, a brand you have in your fridge right now in your coolers this summer. Todd's joining us from just outside New York City. Todd, thanks for joining C-Suite Conversations. Hey, thanks for having me. Happy to be here. So each week, Todd, my team does about 10 pages of research on the guest, and yours came back with a fascinating tagline. They said, Todd Kaplan is culture-obsessed, a marketing nerd, a Lakers fanatic, a sneakerhead, web 3.0 enthusiast, lover of all foods, proud husband and dad. Any of those wrong? I mean, that that pretty much sounds, I think we're done. I think we just finished the podcast. So uh, it's been great to be here. And uh, yeah, no, that, that definitely um, sums me up on many levels. Wow, you guys did some good research. Well, and also collector of curiosities and uh, Pepsi branded products, I can see Behind you as well, Todd, let's rewind a couple of decades. I think what most of our listeners and viewers find most fascinating about these interviews is kind of figuring out how does someone get to the C-suite? What was your journey? How serendipitous? How deliberate was it? Take a few minutes and rewind and walk us through your education. You've got a great um, set of institutions behind you. Talk about that and your path to become the chief marketing officer at Pepsi. Sure. Um, so I grew up in Southern California. So I'm a SoCal guy uh, right outside the, on the beach, beach bum. Uh, so logically, I did my undergrad in the freezing cold out at Northwestern <laughs> outside of Chicago um, and uh, definitely had a great time there for undergrad. Did my came back to the West Coast afterwards. And my background is actually in sports marketing, where I worked in the Bay Area working for a sports marketing agency called Millsport, where I was actually based in-house at Visa International, the credit card company managing their global Olympic games and rugby world cup and all their sports accounts came out East uh, after the, doing that for uh, a number of years out to a uh, business school out at Yale here on the East coast, uh, which, and then in between my first and second year um, got an actual MBA internship at PepsiCo. And that was uh you know, figuring get my feet wet in CPG, learn a little bit about it. And I blinked and I'm still here now, um, you know, 16 years later, which uh, by no means was the design at the time. But uh, it's been a great journey because PepsiCo uh, is such a big company with so many great brands and they do such a great job of developing talent that um, I've done every job over the years from um, leading marketing on Mountain Dew to running our sports marketing to food service to energy to starting new water brands. I've started brands like uh, Bubbly Sparkling Water and Life Water, all the way to most recently running uh, Pepsi and the Pepsi brand for the last five plus years. And it's been, a, it's been an awesome journey and it's been a great place, to, great place to be. My wife, Stephanie, and our three sons are without question the largest consumers of Bubbly in the nation. Please stop. Stop. <laughs> There's not enough room in our fridge for all the Bubbly flavors. Hey, Todd, uh, re re yeah. rewind a little bit. The difference between Pepsi and PepsiCo, just so all of our listeners and viewers know the difference. 
Yeah, so PepsiCo is, um, you know, one of the largest, if not, I think, the, one of the largest uh, food and beverage companies in the world, right? And so we have a range of different brands from Pepsi to Mountain Dew to Aquafina to Bubbly to Lipton Iced Tea. We bottle all the Starbucks drinks, Gatorade, uh, things like that on the beverage side. And then on the snack side, we have a whole snack side of our business that has Doritos, Cheetos, Stacy's Pita Chips, now Tostitos, uh, Quaker Oats. Um, there's so many products we have. Uh, across all of PepsiCo, uh, around the world, frankly, and it's a it's a great uh, food and beverage company. And so, obviously, Pepsi, I think you all uh, hopefully know, is uh, one of the the biggest brands uh, within our portfolio, and uh, you know the name on the door. So, uh, yeah, Todd, would you agree that in some ways Pepsi is not just a beverage company, but it's also kind of a lifestyle entertainment company as well? Is that true? And if so, uh, riff on that. Yeah, totally. Well, um, you know, I just named all our products, but I'd say Pepsi, the Pepsi brand actually has a great heritage in lifestyle marketing in the sense that it's widely credited as the brand that invented lifestyle marketing back in the 1980s when uh, we turned basically our TV commercials into music videos with Michael Jackson, with Madonna, with a number of these folks back when that was a new concept. And uh, that's been an ethos of the pop culture nature of Pepsi as a brand that's in our DNA that we've really carried through our 125 year history and most importantly these last uh you know 50 plus years uh, you know has been a really rich part of our tradition and our brand and we like to think of ourselves as a, a culture forward brand as well which is why it's also just a very fun seat to sit in todd remind me uh pepsi continues to sponsor the super bowl halftime show correct uh we actually walked from that uh about a year ago but we had done we'd done that for over 10 years uh we had a decade long uh, partnership with the Pepsi Super Bowl halftime show where, you know, we did everything from, you know, I, I personally worked on the uh, J-Lo and Shakira and Dr. Dre and Snoop and Eminem and all of them. Um, and in, in a number of different years, I worked on the very first one that we did with uh, Beyonce uh, as well. Right. And so uh, there's a whole lot of fun that we've had in that platform, but we do a lot beyond that as well, where we partner with a number of different musicians, a number of different properties, still very big NFL partners, however, but we did walk from that property uh, about a year ago. It's a complicated question, but do your best to uh, answer this. How do you, what's your decision-making criteria when you decide something has worked for you, nostalgically even, but perhaps it's not right for your consumers and your brand going forward? What kind of questions do you ask yourself when you make big, pivotal decisions, like perhaps, you know, leaving the Super Bowl? I mean, there's a lot that goes into every decision on a, on a brand like this. When you're such a scaled brand, right, so many people care about what you're doing, what you're not doing, where you want to invest and all of that. And you need to make the right decisions that are um, helpful as you look to grow and invest behind your business and your brand and, and where the growth is coming from. And then also what's going to be, um, you know, where where you want to take it moving forward. And and for us, you know, we had a great run as the uh, Pepsi Bowl Halftime Show uh, lead sponsor. And we really built that platform, you know, beyond our wildest dreams into, uh, I think, even beyond the NFL's wildest dreams and what it could be. Uh, and I think it was just a great time to say, you know what, we've taken this kind of where we can take it. And, uh, you know, we would look to look and create new experiences and opportunities as we look at the future of where uh, consumers are going and where brand building is heading on that we can really create with uh, new connections with our consumers in new ways, which is what we're exactly we're doing right now. Can you share a bit of insight into where you're headed next in terms of new opportunities? What can you share that people might begin to look for the Pepsi brand and their associations? Sure. I mean, there's some of that stuff that still we're, we're working through and we're not at uh, liberty to share yet as we're continuing to work through. But I think for the most part, 
um, you know, where consumers are spending their time now and they're much more in the digital space and connecting in new and different ways with brands as you look at kind of um, how they engage with creators, how they engage with um, with brands and have this kind of dual interactivity that's less of a one-way, you know, TV down dialogue and more of a, you know, a, an ongoing kind of connection with brands and stuff. And so that's something we're going to continue to always do as we've just rolled out our new logo and visual identity and how we're going to be uh, moving forward with the brand, which I'm happy to talk a little bit more about that too. But um, a lot of fun we're having uh, as we move forward and a lot more fun that we'll hopefully be able to share soon. Todd, a lot of people are listening and they don't have the, pe- the Pepsi marketing budget, right, or the clout. And they're making decisions on where to place their marketing investments. It might be a large company. It might be a smaller boutique firm. Are there any insights, caveats you might share to say, here's when having an endorser works well for you. Obviously, there's risk with that, but are there any kind of like market principles to say, if you're a company, you're thinking about paying X thousands of dollars for an endorsement. It might be $20,000, $30,000, it might be $10 million. What are some of the questions a marketer might be asking themselves to determine if an endorsement makes sense for their brand? I mean, the simplest one is, why are you doing it? (laughs) And why do you, you know, a lot of brands... That's a, it's a stupid question, you might think, but a lot of people um, skip that one. You know, I look at a lot of the Super Bowl advertisers and a lot of things where, you know, you're just throwing a celebrity into an ad and you're, you're, you're doing a lot of things that I don't know strategically, you know, you're going to get the association you want or whatever. And you might want to think about like, what is the real benefit and the cost benefit? It's all relative to what you spend as well and other things you could be doing. And obviously there are some instances where it's creative execution specific, where this person that ties to this campaign in this moment. And so it just makes sense. There are other times where it's an always on kind of uh, call it endorser or partner of a brand or they collaborate and they build things together. And so it really just depends on what the brand is trying to achieve and, and why that person is it, right? Sometimes they're, like I said, if they're creatively collaborating with you on the content or they're just a face that you're paying to say a line or something, there's, there's very different levels of connectivity. And so you got to be very thoughtful and choiceful about what it is and what it says about your brand uh, and who it is as well as you do that. Let's have a mini masterclass in logo creation and sort of identity. You've just gone through a pretty significant logo change and identity package around it. I've done that as well in my career. This is not easy. There's no shortage of opinions. Half are going to love it and half are going to hate it. You hope yep. that's the right percentage or more, more love it than hate it. But you're always going to have you know, some backlash. What kind of process might you share with us that other brands should think about if they're approaching either a brand refresh, an identity change, a logo simple change? What are some of the things that you learned from your research in the successful launch of your new brand that everybody else can benefit from and avoid some of the stakes that might be inevitable in that process? Yeah, I think the most important thing is um, don't rush it, right? This took us, this is a process that I've been uh, working on for a little over four years now in the role as we look to do this and really know know why you're doing it. And we know the need to do it of like, we really wanted to drive more brand distinction. We wanted to set up the brand more for the future where we could lead more with zero sugar in a lot of our communications. We wanted it to represent the brand more and the ideals of unapologetic enjoyment and feel a little bit bolder. And a number of different things, the efficiencies of having a a trademark approach and all that. And so along the way, in a company our size and our scale, you know, this is no small change to a small thing, right? This is a big decision. And um, the stakes don't get really much higher if we change it and it doesn't work. So 
we had a very iterative process over the years as we build, as we talk to consumers, as we align our internal stakeholders and uh, really make sure that we've built it uh, for the future. We've only, you know, Pepsi is a brand where uh, it's a youthful brand. So we've changed our logos once every, call it, you know, 15 years or so. And it's been about 14 years, which is why now is the time to kind of kick the tires and, and set it up for the next 15 years or so and really keep it modern and fresh and set it up for a digital future, you know, and all the stuff that I was just talking about as well. And uh, we feel great about the solution we came up with. And we were very consumer centric along the way, which is another tip of don't lose sight of the consumer as you're building this. Make sure you align all the right stakeholders because now as we've decided to pull the trigger, we also have 10 billion consumer touch points we now have to touch and change given we're a very tactile physical brand. When you think of you know, the packaging and you think of coolers and fountains and trucks and signs and all the stuff we have, it's going to be multiple years as we roll this out. And so it's a big investment and it's a big uh, decision. But, uh, you know, we're excited that we got it right and are excited to start to uh, roll this out today. Todd, talk about the beverage business. We hear a lot about the kind of the share of stomach, right, and who your competition is and such. What's going on in the industry that you think Pepsi is either addressing or leading out on that might be interesting for the average consumer uh, that's looking for products in their, in their own you know, preference space? Yeah, I mean, it's clearly a very competitive space and, you know, being a consumer packaged goods in general, but in this category, you know, this is a category that has really high household penetration, really high, uh, highly aware legacy brands like ourselves and our competitor and all of that stuff, especially in the cola space. And so there's a lot of battling, you know, for that, as you mentioned, the share of stomach, the share of mind, the share of voice. And uh, it's also a category that, interestingly enough, is a low involvement category. So, uh, it's not as much of a planned purchase as like buying a computer or a diamond ring or a car or something, right? There, it's you know a lot of it is impulse and where you are in that moment and top of mind awareness and I'm thirsty and I want to grab something, and how you get that space in somebody's mind and mental availability. So a lot of the tactics and things that we do and, and strategies we employ uh, really account for all those things in terms of everything from our innovation strategy to our communication strategy all the way to how we distribute and show up on shelf uh, in retailers. Uh, let's do a speed round. Uh, these are gonna be uh, broad questions. The biggest mistake marketers continue to make that frustrates you the most is? Is make decisions for their company and not for their consumer. Um, I've seen it time and time again, and I am a um, consumer first at everything that we do, being culture forward on everything that we do. and. Uh, Make sure the decisions you're making for your brand, for your business, for everything are always starting and ending that are filling a consumer need or a consumer opportunity. A lot of times we'll convince ourselves it's the right thing to do because our competitor did this or our company needs us to do this or strategically important, but make sure that at the end of it, it's actually solving a problem that a consumer is looking for or an opportunity that will really connect with consumers at the end of the day and the job of the marketer, especially in the C-suite is to be and champion the voice of the consumer with all the other functions around the company. Uh, you balance the creative genius and instincts of the team you lead with what the market data says and how do those work together or sometimes compete? Yeah, there's a lot of times where there's a conflict in those things of, hey, we need this or we need that or the, um, you know, we, we always start with what is the right consumer driven idea? What's the right creative to execute? And a lot of times 
you know, there's a lot of reasons why we shouldn't do it, whether it's our own internal, you know, our legal team has an issue or our supply chain can't make it in time or whatever. Or sometimes, you know, uh, the sales team needs something else that they believe they need and, and there's conflict. And so a lot of times it's a matter of how you tell the right story, how you align all those right stakeholders to the problem you're trying to solve. And um, really making sure everybody understands that everyone in these companies ultimately is in the business of solving consumer needs. And those are the people who are buying your product at the end of the day and making sure uh, if you're going to do something, you want to make sure it's going to work and you want to make sure it connects with them on the right levels. How involved should the C-suite or the CEO be in the marketing approach of any company? I think it's going to vary company to company. And you see this across different industries. Some um, CEOs come from finance, some come from sales, some come from marketing themselves and other functions as well. And uh, it really, I think marketing needs a seat at the table to really um, help drive the growth and the strategy of a company in my belief. Um, I think it's, um, you see it time and time again where marketing is kind of cast away as a cost center or a uh, a nice to have of like, oh, well, we just, they just spend the money and talk about our products and brands as opposed to hey, these are the people who understand consumer behavior. They can help drive your innovation strategy, your overall long-term growth strategy. And when you really embrace it in the right way, marketing can and should be a growth engine uh, for the company. Uh, as you look all the way from product design all the way down to how you communicate about the product uh, in your you know, marketing campaigns and whatnot. Todd, recently you wrote an article, I think on LinkedIn, you called The Three Truths. Will you take some time and remind us what those are and how they should be sort of universally applied in marketing teams around the world. Sure, yeah, that's a, it's a philosophy I've started to implore with my team and I call it the three truths and they, uh, you know, it's on blue in the face and they're probably like rolling their eyes like, oh, here we go, the three truths again. But it's, um, the, co the concept is pretty simple, is that the best ideas really come from a place that is rich with creative tension, right? And that's where you can start to build ideas. And the tension needs to exist between these three truths. There's the, Consumer truth, which is a, a truth or a fact about your consumer. There's a cultural truth about how all that stuff, what is happening in culture today that is really uh, pointed about this to make sure what you're doing lands in culture. And then the third one is more of a product or a brand truth and how those three things, you know, interact around a certain product or a certain uh, idea can then really, you know, create, if they're, if they're in conflict with one another, that can create a real rich dig site to build a creative idea on top of. And so we use this as a framework that actually kicks off our creative process. It's a real insights-led uh, process that really uh, helps us with our creative process. Tom, what would you say are the best fields of experience for someone that wants to become a CMO? When I was Franklin Covey's CMO, although I had a marketing background in education 30 years ago in college, I came from sales. And the reason I think I was a successful CMO was I knew I knew how the company operated. I knew what was the engine driver, right? I understood the problems the salespeople had with their clients, the circumstance their clients were in. Speak to perhaps all the parents out there that are grooming their children through high school and college. Speak to the people that are in the beginning of their careers. What are the fields of experience that make a great CMO? I think it's one of those that... Um you know, there's no one way to do it in marketing. You know, it's not like, oh, you declare your pre-med and all of a sudden now you go on the track to become a doctor and, you know, all that kind of stuff. I think there's a lot of different things that can work. And frankly, uh, the skills obviously come down to, you need obviously to understand 
consumer behavior. And so you logically, there's a nugget around psychology and trying to understand why people do things and the insights of it all. There's an area around communications, which is around like your ability to communicate with people, to speak, to connect the dots, to relate to people, how you write and all that. So there's a communications element. And then of course, there's an economics piece to it all of like the business behind it and how it all connects. And so I think there's you know, none of those are uniquely guaranteed to say you're going to be a good marketer if, and none of those are going to say you won't. But um, those are, I think, some of the the core skills, but it really comes down to the person and their initiative and, you know, and what they really get behind it. I remember when I was an undergrad, I was a uh, econ major at Northwestern, and I was frustrated that there was no, like, marketing track. And so I actually started a, a business when I was an undergrad uh, there was this first student-run advertising agency, and we did uh, advertising for on-campus student groups to really just get experience and try things out, and it helped solve this need that, you know, if I was going to get an internship, I needed to show I had experience there, but it also helped solve a need on campus where, uh, you know, a lot of the student groups didn't know how to market their groups, and so it was a great thing, and it kind of grew and built. So it just really depends on the individual and, and what they're looking for, I'd say, at the end of the day. Todd, carry that forward. What do you do specifically to keep your, your, your curiosity, your information flow, your, your, your finger in the pulse? What do you do to keep yourself relevant? I think it's just always, you know, be a consumer yourself. And, you know, as you see things, as you read articles, as you see trends that are happening, even that you're uh, not a part of, like, try and just understand them. And I'm a very big um, hands-on learning by doing sort of person. So, you know, whether it was when Web3 was coming up, I would dig in and go down the rabbit hole. When TikTok started, I would literally spend hours just looking at it, trying to understand what is happening. Why are people doing these things, making them, you know, as, as you as the next there's always going to be a next thing and something that's happening or not. And really, um, you want to understand it. And, uh, you know, it's all about connecting with consumers on their terms. And that's what marketing is and why it's exciting now to be a marketer is the landscape keeps changing and changing and changing. Um, you don't want to be caught outdated and you want to be on the forefront of where people are at and all that. And so it's just keeping fresh, keeping your head to the ground. And then the other piece is with your team. Um, I listen a ton to my team who, again, they also are very diverse and how they have different points of view and what they bring to the table and what they're experiencing in their day-to-day lives. And all of those differences come together and how we can communicate and share uh, is really important. Think back over the last decade, what's the most impactful marketing campaign that you wished you had designed? That I wished I had designed over the last decade? Does something stand out to say, wow, that was fantastic. I wish I'd had the chance to have led that. Um, I mean, there's a bunch of stuff I'd say. Um, A lot of the stuff, especially as we're a challenger brand at Pepsi, I love a lot of the work that uh, in the last handful of years that... um, Burger King had done, and I know, um, you know, uh, Fernando over there and had done some great stuff. I know um, a lot of the work from Nike, uh, you know, they always put up great work because they know just so painfully who they are as a brand and who they are not. And they just hit that again and again in these beautifully executed anthemic stuff. Um, You know, it just really just depends on what you're going. If you're talking about the craft, uh, if you're talking about the, I'm a big geek for like insights led marketing and and really you know taking an insight and pivoting from it. So it just really depends on on what it is. I always geek out over a can on all the uh, the fun ideas and who's winning and and whatnot and use that as inspiration as I bring back to the team. What does the future look like if you look at marketing beyond Pepsi, in the beverage business and the entertainment business? Just generally, if someone was listening to you and they really wanted to become super relevant in the next say 18 to 24 months. 
Is there a particular sure. channel or re field of research or study or is there something that you would say, hey, get on this right now because this is what's going to sweep marketing in the next couple of years? I think there's a few things. And I think the number one skill that marketers should try to embrace nowadays for the future, I believe, is agility, which is like plan for your stuff to be disrupted, plan for not knowing what you're talking about to then know what you're talking about and all of that. And as you look at that from that lens, the trends that I see, you know, obviously the creator economy is huge today and will only become more and more important as it moves forward. As you look at a lot of these creators and the role they play, you know, they're not just talent. They're not just distribution channels. They're not just, you know, uh, media outlets themselves. They're not just production partners. They're all of the above. And they can really change and step change how brands and communities are built. You look at what's happening with Mr. Beast, with Taylor Swift with all these people and have had these like rabid fan bases, Logan Paul, uh, there's a lot of connection points there that I think learning about how to best embrace the creator economy. And the other thought I'd say is, um, I think the whole paid versus earned uh, media landscape is gonna become much more disrupted. Uh, right now, the industry is still playing catch up and it's a very pay to play where you spend your media dollars and all this stuff. When you look at streaming, when you look at the way people are consuming content, short form, all that, when you look at the role of earned media that plays in our daily life, organic uh, you know, content as well, I think marketers are going to need to get more creative on how to cut through. And it's not going to be about where you are in the paid lanes only because the paid lanes are often where the consumer tunes out or it's not as you know uh, engaging as some of these other areas. And so I think... Um, Creative is going to be king in a lot of these things. And what's the creative idea? And I think how to embrace all these new tools and channels as they emerge, uh, knowing creators will probably be at the center of it, I think will be important. Beautifully said. Todd Kaplan, CMO of Pepsi. Thanks for cramming a ton into 27 minutes or so. I appreciate your time today. Oh, good. No, likewise. It was fun to chat. Happy to do it. And we'll see you back here next week for a new conversation from the C-Suite.